Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like you to follow along. You're welcome to follow along in the worship folder or up on the screen, whichever is more comfortable for you. Uh, If you have a worship folder, you'll find a space on page 10 um, where if you want, you can take notes or you can fill in the blanks with some of our, our key points, our key takeaways this morning. Dear Christian friends, fellow lights in our world, wow. I mean, wow. You ever notice that there's a lot of uses for the word wow? Right? And, I mean, if you're, if you're a teenager, there's like hundreds, I think. Wow, dude. Right? We use wow for all kinds of things. We use wow when we're amazed or astonished, when we see or hear something just fantastic. And it almost leaves us speechless, right? Where you see this incredible acrobatic or, or athletic feat. Or where you hear this amazing performance or a, a beautiful solo Or maybe last Sunday where you just looked out the window and you saw how God had painted the sky in this just beautiful tapestry of orange and pink and blue and purple. Wow. And then there's the other end of the spectrum. Wow. Right? This almost like disbelief that that sometimes we use. Maybe, Maybe a close friend said or did something that you just did not expect that that kind of hurt would come from them. And you're just, wow, did you really say that? So we've got wow, astonishment, wow, disbelief and hurt on on the other end. And we've got all kinds of uses of, of wow in between. And it's helpful for us to kind of think through that a little bit because this morning our, our, the section of scripture that we're going to look at from Luke chapter four is filled with all kinds of, 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 points of of things that God reveals to us, that God puts on display for us, that make us just go, wow. But God doesn't want us to just notice them. God doesn't want us to just like stop for a moment and admire the, the sky on a beautiful sunrise or sunset. It's not that kind of a wow. It's the kind of wow where God wants us to take notice of it and learn from it. And so this morning, as we see the light shining, even even when it's not welcome, even when people don't want to see it, God wants us to stop and and admire the beauty and and learn from the wows of our section of Scripture from Luke chapter 4. We begin at verse 20. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it's helpful to know what's going on. If you were here last week, you actually heard these words. They were the end of the section of scripture that we studied last Sunday. Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. He had gone home, and he had actually gone to his home church, the church he had grown up in. And as Jesus went to church there, the people welcomed him and they gave him the opportunity to read from the Bible, from the scriptures to them. And Jesus intentionally chose a section from the prophet Isaiah, a section of Isaiah that was all about what the promised Messiah, the one God was going to send to save all people, would do. It was a section about the Savior. 
And Jesus brings us our first wow, doesn't he? Because he reads that section, and did you notice what he says at the end of it? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? There are a lot of times people are like, well, Jesus is kind of subtle. I'm not sure if he's the Savior. I'm not sure if he's God. He's kind of, you know, you got to almost read between the lines. No, no, no. Look at what Jesus is saying. It's our first takeaway that, this morning. That Jesus made it clear that he is the promised Savior. This section of Scripture was about the Savior, and Jesus said, it's here. It's now. It's me. He was being boldly clear and explicitly clear that he is the fulfillment of God's promises and God's purpose in sending a Savior. You've waited hundreds, even thousands of years for this moment in history, and it's right here, sitting among you, staring you in the face. Jesus showing himself to clearly be the Savior is definitely a wow that we don't want to miss and that we want to cling to and hold on to and remember. And we want to because the second wow comes in our next verses, verse 22. This is from the people that were sitting in the synagogue, the people of Nazareth, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Now, this sounds not so bad the way it's phrased in English. It kind of sounds like they're, wow, he's got really good things that he's saying, and we're pretty amazed by this, and this is a good thing. But actually, that's not really what was going on. And you see the truth of that in the question that's asked. The question shows their heart. See, the, the people there they, were, they weren't amazed because Jesus was the promised Savior. They were amazed that Jesus was claiming to be the promised Savior. And their question shows that. It, it comes across in English as, isn't this Joseph's son? In Greek, in the original that it's written in, it's actually expecting a yes answer. This is Joseph's son, isn't it? It's expecting that everybody there is going to confirm, wait a minute, this is, I know something about this guy. And he's not the Savior. I mean, he came from here, right? He came from Nazareth. We're kind of a podunk town. Nothing, nothing good comes from Nazareth, as one of Jesus' disciples once said. They were, Jesus came from a lower-income, lower-middle-income family, a blue-collar family, a carpenter's son. Pretty simple guy, pretty simple upbringing. Okay. He's a teacher now? Eh. Maybe? I mean, where did he get his training? Who did he study under? Where did he go to seminary? Maybe. That's a, it, it's okay. It's a little bit of a stretch, but maybe that he is a teacher. But that he's the Savior? Ah, no. Uh-uh. No way. Can't be. And the reason it couldn't be is because they thought they knew him and they thought they knew better. In their minds, in their brains, with fallen human logic, it didn't add up. And therefore, Jesus 
couldn't be. The problem, the reason that this is a wow statement is this is the sad reality of unbelief, right? Jesus had presented them with this amazingly important truth, this eternity-changing, life-altering truth. He is the Savior, the fulfillment of all of God's promises, and they just rejected it out of hand because they thought they knew better. Nah, can't be. Nope, doesn't add up, doesn't make sense, no way. And we see that still, don't we? The wow of that, of unbelief from people who think it just doesn't quite add up. And they look at Jesus, well, he's a a good teacher. He's a real moral leader. There are things we can learn from him, but they reject him as true God. They reject him as the Savior, and therefore they reject him as their Savior. The third wow is Jesus' response to that unbelief. It's in the next verses, beginning at verse 23. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. See, Jesus knew, right, because he's God, Jesus knew what they were going to want, that in their unbelief, they were going to want him to prove himself. Do what we've heard you do. We do the miracles, the healings, the feeding of thousands and thousands. We've heard about this. Prove it. You say you're the Savior. You say you're God. Prove it. See, they'd already heard about it. They They had heard that this had happened in other places, but they had not believed it. And Jesus knew if he did the same there, that they would find a way, they'd find a reason, they'd find an excuse to, out of their faulty logic, to rationalize it away. No, dismiss it, can't be, no way, not possible. He knew that no matter what he did, it wasn't going to convince them, not because his power was limited, but because their hearts were blind. And so Jesus brings up Elijah and Elisha. Now, if you've read some of the Bible before, you've probably heard of these two messengers that God had sent to his people. They were some of the greatest Old Testament prophets. They were highly revered and respected and well-known by the Jews. And yet, what's interesting, what's ironic, is when God sent them to his people, both Elijah and Elisha, well, they weren't really welcomed. In fact, they were They were often ignored. Their message was rejected, dismissed, and and even they were persecuted for telling people about him. The problem wasn't God. The problem wasn't God's power or God's promises or God's word. And that's why Jesus points to these Old Testament examples hey, this is not a new phenomenon, Me, you sitting here and, and not believing me, not believing God's word. This has happened before. 
right? Why, why, when there was a three and a half year famine, were your people starving? And Elijah went out of Israel. And he lived with this widow in Zarephath. And for every day, they had food. And what about Naaman, the, the commander of, of Israel's enemy army? He had leprosy, and so did all kinds of other people. Why was he healed? What was the difference? Why not Israelites? Well, the problem wasn't their lineage. The problem was their heart. The problem was their unbelief. Why Naaman and the widow of Zarephath? Because they believed. They simply trusted God and they obeyed him in faith. This is a wow moment because Jesus was pointing the people then and the people today to the real problem. The real problem wasn't God. It wasn't Jesus the Savior. It wasn't God's power. It wasn't God's word. It wasn't God's promises. The problem for Nazareth was not any of those things. Jesus clearly pointed them to the real problem. It was their unbelief. The problem is you, not me. Ooh, those words stung a bit. And yet, we see that they're true. We see that they, they hit home, and, and we see that that was the issue. Not only because we see it in Elijah and Elisha, but look what happens in the very last verses of our text. We're going to jump ahead to verses 31 and 32. After Jesus leaves Nazareth, where his word is, is soundly rejected, and he goes to Capernaum. Then he went, Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. Same thing. However, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Same word, same promise from God, same person doing the teaching. The only thing that was different was the hearts of the people listening. In Nazareth, they rejected out of unbelief. In Capernaum, they were amazed at the power of the word because they believed. It's, this is an important wow for us to, to hold on to because this isn't one that's changed from Elijah to Jesus and it's not one that's changed from Jesus till today. See, why do people not appreciate it when you share your faith? Why are there so many people that just live in unbelief even though the word of God is around us in, many, in so many more ways and so more widely available than ever before? Why do you and I still struggle? Why do we have moments, why do we have issues, why do we have sections of the Bible or, or things about what the Bible says in my life that I just have a hard time with? Why do I struggle to trust that, that God loves me and forgives me? Why do I, I, why do I wonder and doubt if he's going to see me through this? Is it because the power of God or his word or his promises have failed somewhere in between? Nope. The problem in Jesus' day, the problem in Elijah's day, the problem still today, the problem even in my own heart is the exact same thing. It's unbelief. 
Now, in our hearts, thankfully, by God's grace, there is faith, right? We are living proof of the power of God's word that he has worked through his word. The power of the Holy Spirit has created faith in our hearts. But, but if I could see in your hearts, if you could see in mine, you wouldn't see like this beating 100% pure faith that trusts God in every single thing. You'd see a heart that believes and doubts and struggles and worries and wonders and doesn't understand and wrestles with and that's what God sees too. God sees a heart that still has, has pockets, has pieces, has lapses of unbelief. That's why there was a man who came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, if you can help me. And Jesus said, if you can? You know who you're talking to, right? I'm, I'm God. I'm the Savior. I'm here. And, and he said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It wasn't that he was an unbeliever by faith. He was going to heaven. He believed that Jesus was a Savior, but he still struggled trusting God fully. And we, we know that, don't we? And the problem isn't God. It's not his power. It's not his promises. And it's not his word. The problem is our, our sinful and broken hearts. And that's true then when you share God's word too. When you have a friend or, or somebody that you love dearly, and, and you shared the word with them, and you go, why don't they believe? I, I just don't get it. Why? Maybe I, I just wasn't clear. Maybe I said it wrong. Maybe, maybe God's word is losing some of its power. Maybe it just doesn't, doesn't work. No, that's not the case. And that brings us to our, our next takeaway, that the problem for all people and that includes you and me, is unbelief. We just hide it. We disguise it behind excuses and walls. Now, we could dig into that and, and unpack what are your excuses? What are your walls? What are the things you struggle with, the, the portions of God's word that you go, oh, I just don't get this. I don't understand how this can be. We all have them. We all struggle with, I'm not so sure that this is what God actually means when he says this. Oh, he says it, that's what he means. But, but we don't want to think that, and so we try to find a way to excuse it, to put it behind a wall. We don't like to think that, that I shouldn't do this because God says not to do it, so I'm going to hide that over here. But that's really just an, a showing of the fact that I don't fully, 100%, live a life of faith. And the same is true in the world, right? The world that rejects God, the world that that opposes God, the world that says, yeah, that's not possible. Is it God that failed? Is it Jesus who came to save all people? Did he fail somewhere along the line? Did, did God's word lose some of its power? Did God's promises stop being effective? No. The problem isn't any of those things. The problem isn't God. The problem is us. The problem is our hearts. And that's why the simple answer, and it is simple, and sometimes it's so simple that, that we struggle to actually use it. The simple answer to unbelief, well, it's what God says he works through to create and strengthen heart, our faith. And that's God's word. 
Because God promises when he always works through his word. He's either creating and strengthening faith, or he's exposing and hardening and unbelief. And so God wants us, when you're struggling, when I'm doubting, when I'm wondering, when I'm afraid, God wants us to go back to the word. And maybe that means that you open up your Bible and you just start reading. Maybe that means that there is a section of the Bible that you know this is my go-to reminder, this is my go-to promise from God. When I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when I'm doubting, when I'm afraid, that I remind myself of God's goodness and God's love and God's mercy here. The same is true then when you run into somebody that's hurting. Somebody that's broken. And the best thing you can tell them is what God has done. Because God's word always works. The funny thing is, we think if I don't see a result right then and right there, it probably didn't. But that isn't what God promises. He doesn't say you're going to see the results immediately. He said, my word always works. It always accomplishes God's purpose. And so it either exposes in that person their unbelief or it creates or strengthens faith every single time you share God's word. Now, do we wish, would we hope that we would see the, the result, the response, and that it would always be good? And yes, I believe. Yes, that's what God says. We absolutely wish that. We would absolutely long for that. But that isn't the reality, is it? There were people that rejected Jesus. There are people that are still going to reject Jesus when you tell them about him. But it's important to understand that that is exactly what happened, right? That, that's, that it's a rejection not of you, but of him. That's what we see happen in our next verses this morning. Beginning in verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the, the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. See, the people of Nazareth, wow, they understood. They got what Jesus was saying with that whole Elijah-Elisha comparison. They didn't miss it. They understood Jesus was saying, the problem isn't me, the problem's you. And they weren't happy about it. As Jesus exposed their unbelief, their response wasn't apathy or, oh, okay. And it wasn't like, okay, we're going to kick you out of the church. It was, oh, no, oh, no. Murderous wrath. They were furious. Every single one of them, they, they didn't just boot him out the door. They ran him out of town so that they could throw him off a cliff and kill him. Talk about a response of unbelief. This was intense hostility and intense hatred. They were boiling rage. And, and so it shouldn't surprise us the response to God's word. It's not always friendly and it's not always eh, kind of nice. Because you're going to see this. 
you already do, right? I mean, it's, it's probably more widely known because of social media, because 24-hour news cycles, all those kinds of things. But I'm sure that you've experienced it too. Where someone, you say, I'll, I'll pray for you. And the response is not, oh, thanks. It's pray. What's wrong with you? Why don't you actually do something? You believe in that nonsense? Wow. Or maybe it's when you just talk about how you went to church and, and we did this as a family this weekend. Pfft, why are you wasting your time with that? Are you stupid? Are you that simple-minded? Wow. Or you just tell someone that you mentioned God, you mentioned Jesus, you don't even tell them, but you just say the word and they are so, their conscience is so pricked, their unbelief is exposed and they hate it and they want to cover it. And they lash out because they're hurt and they want to hurt and cover it back up. And they bite and they bite hard. This is not a new phenomenon, is it? But here's an important point. It's our third takeaway. If my remote will work. Mind clicking? Thanks, Ethan. It's a hostile reaction to God's word is not against me personally. When someone responds like they did to Jesus, it's not they're responding to me, it's they're responding to him. And it's because God's word exposed their unbelief. God's word showed who they are and what they believe. And they're trying to hide it. They're trying to hide it from you, but even more, they're trying to hide it from God. The final wow, then, is, is something that's kind of slipped into this whole section. I already read it. I don't know if you caught it. In the middle, midst of all of this bluster and, and wrathful hatred of the people of Nazareth is an incredible demonstration of God's power and of God's grace. Did you, did you catch what it was? The people... They were furious and they ran Jesus out of town and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him over a cliff. But that's not what happened. Verse 30, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. See, it wasn't because Jesus like slipped out of their grasp and was able to outrun them. It wasn't that he slipped out of their grasp and like managed to get lost in this angry mob Probably not very likely, and that's not at all what happened. Instead, he walked right through this large crowd of people that every single one of them hated him and wanted to kill him, and he walked right down the middle. Talk about an understatement and such an understated way of displaying the power of God that this murderous group couldn't lay a finger on him. God showed a glimpse of his power again, didn't he? By preventing these people from not only hurting him, but from committing another sin. And even more than just showing his power and his authority, even though over those who rejected him, Jesus showed his grace. He showed that even in the midst of this darkness, when people wanted the darkness, they hated the light, the light was still shining. Because in his grace, Jesus didn't turn the tables. This was a sin, obviously. Hating God, rejecting Jesus as the Savior is a sin. 
and is worthy of hell just like the rest. And instead of just turning the tables and saying, fine, all of you are going over the cliff, instead of the earth opening and swallowing them whole and condemning them for eternity in their unbelief to hell, like they deserved, Jesus walked away. And he gave them another day, another week, another year, the rest of a lifetime to hear the good news that he was the Savior. See, that's what God has done for us, right? We see this wow show up in our lives. Some of you may not be able to think back to a time when you didn't know Jesus. You were a baby when God brought you to faith through the, the power of his word and baptism. Some, some of you, it may not have been that long ago where I didn't fully appreciate, where I didn't understand, where I didn't believe. But God, through the power of his word, the working of his Holy Spirit, worked in you. And he brought you to faith. Because he wanted you and me during this time of grace that we live in, this time when he gives us to live on this earth, not just to accumulate stuff and have friends and enjoy life, but to know him and to know him better and to share him. He's given us this gift. And instead of saying, you broke the rules, you broke the law, you offended me, you're done forever. He continues our life so that we might know him. That's one of the greatest wows of all of God's word, isn't it? That he is patient and he is loving to me, to you, to people who, who never deserved it. The people in Nazareth, we were just like them at one point, hating God, opposing him, unbelief that wanted to know nothing more. We, we're good with the darkness. That's how we're born into this world. But God... He let his light shine in our hearts through the power of his word and he made us his children. And now he gives us this beautiful, beautiful opportunity and command. That's our, our fourth takeaway this morning. That God showed his love and his patience in bringing me to faith in Jesus. Now, he uses me to share his message of forgiveness in Jesus. What an amazing thing that I once was the lost that we're going to sing about in our last song. But now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. And now I get to share the light. Are you going to face rejection? Absolutely. Shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if Jesus did, no offense, but you're no Jesus. But actually, that's what people are rejecting, isn't it? They're rejecting him not you. So don't be offended. Don't take it personally. Instead, pray for that person that they would know, that they would hear, that they would believe. Because in just a few weeks, we're going to see Jesus facing another crowd, another angry mob. And it's going to be vastly different. As the, the crowd came to find him in Gethsemane and then pushed him to the high priest's court and then to the governor's court and then to the hill to be crucified. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't walk right through them and walk away. It wasn't because he couldn't. We just saw that he demonstrated his power even over those who hate him. No, Jesus allowed that to happen. He, 
He let it go. He let himself be taken. He let himself be nailed and spit on, beaten, and mocked. Because he came to save. He came to save those who laughed at him, those who mocked him, those who crucified him. He came to save those who still struggle with pockets in our heart that don't understand, that wonder and worry and doubt. He came to save you. He came to save me. He came to save those soldiers, those mockers. He came to save your neighbors. He came to save your coworkers. He came to save your grandma who doesn't know. He came to save your children who are apathetic and indifferent. He came to save all of us. And that's what he wants us to remember. That in a dark world, the light shines. And while it might seem like the darkness is swallowing the light, that is the opposite of what is happening. That the light is shining no matter how dark the world seems. And thank God for it because he has brought you and me to faith. And now it's our privilege and our opportunity and our mission to let that light shine. God bless your efforts and give you strength and courage to let that happen day in, day out, at home, at work, wherever God leads you. Whatever people he brings into your path, let his light shine. Amen.